All right, today we will be in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. You can go ahead and turn there. The news article, the uh, title of the news article read, Kenya Doomsday Cult Death Toll Tops 400 as detectives exhume 12 more bodies with the pastor in custody. In Kenya's, there's a, there's a, some doomsday cult there in Kenya in the uh, coastal region, in the forested coastal region, and the death toll has reached over 400 so far, uh, 403. There's over 600 that are missing. They've been able to rescue 95 but this doomsday, the pastor of this doomsday cult and 36 of his leadership team are all in custody. They've, what they wanted to do is they told their people, you have to starve yourself if you want to see Jesus. And so now over 400 have died, one of whom died in, in custody because they, were, they, they decided they would go on a starvation um, protest even while they were in custody. Um, and so they're still looking for, uh, there's still over a hundred that are missing. So they're not sure if those hundred will turn up alive or turn up deceased. Very well could reach over 500 people died because a pastor told them, starve yourself so you can see Jesus. This pastor back in 2019 had his a previous church shut down because he was telling children not to go to school or not to learn, and there was multiple children that are missing. This happened just this last week. This was a headline in the newspaper last week. This isn't the first time something like this has happened. Some of you um, that are old enough would remember the Jim's, Jim Jones cult. They killed over 900 people in South America, telling them to take cyanide, and some took it voluntarily, and some were forced to take it, all so they could see Jesus, or they could prove themselves as a, uh, a way of worshiping God. False teachers and false teaching and false worship were a problem for the Colossians, and as you can see, it's still a problem today. For the Colossians, the false teachers were not necessarily teaching something to take the place of Christianity. They were teaching something that was going to add to Christianity. This is also true of the false teachers and false teaching today. Paul vigorously denounced these teachers and their teaching, and we must continue to do the same. Why? Because these teachers and this teaching can have deadly consequences both physically and spiritually, as you can see from this Kenya doomsday cult. Jude, chapter, Jude verses 3 and 4, Jude writes to, uh, to his friends, he says, Dear friends, although I was eager to write you about the salvation we share, I find it necessary to write and exhort you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once and for all. For some men who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. They are ungodly, turning the grace of our God into promiscuity and denying Jesus Christ, 
our only master and Lord. So I want to put our passage for today into a little bit of context from last week's sermon when we were in uh, the, some earlier verses there in chapter 2. Verses 9 and 10 say, For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. Now verse 16, Therefore... Don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or new moon or Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what is to come. The substance is the Messiah. Let no one disqualify you insisting on ascetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to to a visionary realm and inflated without cause by his unspiritual mind. He doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, develops with the growth from God. If you died with the Messiah to the elemental forces of the world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to its regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is destroyed by being used up. They are commands and doctrines of men. Although these have a reputation of wisdom by promoting ascetic practices, humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I just thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for giving us this day. Lord, for the opportunity to come and worship you in singing and hearing your word, to worship you in fellowship and in giving. Lord, I pray that each one of us here today would be faithful in our worship of you. Lord, that we would not be paying lip service to a worship of you, but we would sincerely worship you this day. I pray, Lord, that you would take this this passage of your word and you would teach your people today, Lord, that you would be faithful Uh, to your word and your power would share and open up the hearts and minds of those that are here listening to your word. We praise your holy name, Lord God, in Jesus' name, amen. So you'll see in your notes, I've kind of broken this down into three parts, beware of false teachers, beware of false teaching, and beware of false worship. Beware of false teachers. Colossians 2, 16, 18, and 19 kind of touch on this. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Let no one disqualify you insisting on ascetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm and inflated without cause by his unspiritual mind. He doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, develops with growth from God. False teachers impose a strategy for Christians, for Christian development that does not have Christ at the center, and it becomes a self-help strategy instead. Becomes something that is unpowerful, becomes something that is unusable, something that does not meet your needs. Because we need Christ. Christ is the head. If you separate from the head, you're not going to get anywhere. Jesus states the hidden danger of false teachers in Matthew when he says, 
Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. False teachers are recognizable. They will have bad fruit. False teachers are, we, we must vigorously oppose false teachers because false teachers are those within the church. We're not talking about people that are outside the church that they, they, they have some philosophy or something they're trying to espouse that you readily recognize, well, that doesn't make sense. That, that would be against what God says. No, the false, the false teachers we are, we are talking about here are within the church. This pastor in Kenya was within the church. Jim Jones was within the church. He started off in a mainstream church and then developed his cult from that. David Koresh and others, they start within some mainstream church and develop a cult from there. False teachers are within the church, and that's the problem, because they mix a little bit of truth with a lot of error, and they cause problems. Not only are false teachers really wolves in sheep's clothing, but they put the body of Christ in a clear and present danger. This preacher in Kenya insisted on ascetic practices. Starve yourself. Asceticism is about, you know, abusing your body in an effort to worship God. Abusing yourself in an effort to please God. Abuse yourself so that you can see Jesus. He was promoting ascetic practices that resulted in the death of over 400 people. And he's not the only one. So false teachers put people in physical danger but they put them in spiritual danger as well. Revelations 2.20 says, But I have this against you. This is Jesus speaking to the church at Thyatira. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my slaves to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. False teachers, when a church accommodates false teachers within its body, that's a problem. Jesus had that against this church in Thyatira. They were accommodating the, the false teachers. They weren't, they weren't exposing them for what they really are, who they really are. And in today's culture, sometimes that is hard to do. We don't want to be seen as being mean or ugly. But sometimes we need to call a spade a spade. We need to, we need to Paul vigorously went after false teachers. Jude vigorously went after false teacher. John vigorously went after false teacher. The early church fathers vigorously went after false teachers. We need to do the same. In an article in the Financial Times magazine, Edward Luce wrote a piece on, the, on Joel Osteen in Lakewood Church. Luce writes, Lakewood is not the kind of church that troubles your conscience. That should be a telling statement when a, a non-Christian secular uh, journal the, and a writer for that journal, not necessarily writing to Christians, sa says, this church doesn't trouble your conscience. We preach the Bible here. We preach that we are sinners. That should trouble your conscience. 
You should have a troubled conscience recognizing that you can't live up to God's holiness. You are incapable of living up to the standard that God sets, and it is only by the blood of Christ that you are declared righteous. That should trouble your conscience. He goes on, he says, Now how did he manage to keep sin and redemption out of a Christian message? And Olstein's response was, Look, I'm a preacher's son, so I'm an optimist. Life already makes us feel guilty every day. If you keep laying shame on people, they get turned off. Luce replies, but how does telling people to downplay their conscience tally with the New Testament? There's a good question, isn't it? It's a good question. Osteen's response, and Luce writes in, he says, Osteen smiled awkwardly. I preach the gospel, but we are non-denominational. It is not my aim to dwell on technicalities. I want, people, I want to help people sleep at night. In other words, Osteen would send people to hell so they can sleep better at night. How, what kind of church is that? That is a false teacher. That is somebody that is preaching a false gospel. And that leads to dangerous results. Albert Moeller, in a response to this article, says, Osteen tragically exchanges the hope of the gospel centered on Christ and his accomplished work for a wishy-washy, self-centered, self-exalting message of psychotherapy. He does not proclaim the gospel, but a false hope. Don't listen to preachers who preach a false hope. If your preacher's not telling you, repent of your sin, there's a problem. If your preacher's not telling you, Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, and it is his work and his blood that allows you to go to heaven, there's a problem. Watch out for false teachers. This is the most serious kind of spiritual danger because it's a false hope and a false, false gospel. And there are people in these churches that think they're saved, and one day they will stand before Jesus Christ and he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. That would be a terrible thing to hear. be a terrible thing to hear. And that is on the head of the false teachers. Those people will still suffer for their sin and for their lack of, of acknowledging Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But that preacher is going to suffer as well for preaching a false gospel. Some of you may be saying, why be so polemical against prosperity preachers in this church? We're not a prosperity church. It's because their teaching has been so pervasive, and I still run into honest, well-meaning believers who buy their books and pay attention to what they teach. Have you ever said to yourself, well, if I just meet this person or get into this circle of people, I just need to think positively? Have you ever th bought or read Norman Vincent Peale's The Power of Positive Thinking? Then you have bought into the prosperity philosophy. That's where they get this stuff from. If I just think positively, if I think the right way, if I just meet the right people, that is the prosperity philosophy. Do you want the power of positive thinking or do you want the power of Holy Spirit in your life? Who do you think will be more powerful? 
What would be better to believe in? Oh, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Or to say, Lord Jesus, help me. Fill me with your spirit and give me the power to accomplish what it is you're asking me to do, whatever that might be. You want the power of the Holy Spirit or the power of your own positive thinking. Then don't buy into the prosperity gospel's philosophy. And they're not the only false teachers out there. Of course, there is, a, and, and the reason these, this, this idea of the power of positive thinking works is because, you know, we are still responsible for doing some things. It's not that we say, Lord God, help me, and then we sit back and let God do all the work. We do still have a responsibility to do some work, okay? We do still have some, some responsibility to work with what God is giving us and how God is enabling us. And that's part of the reason why some people buy into these philosophies. Well, I, God does his part, and then I have to do my part. That's not the way they work. John Murray says, God's working in us is not suspended because we work, nor our working suspended because God works. Neither is the relation strictly one of cooperation, as if God does his part and we do ours, so that the conjunction or coordination of both produce the required result. God works in us, and we also work. But the relation is that because God works, we work. You see the difference? There's a distinction here. Because God is at work in your life, you are able to work. That's the distinction. It's not about what you do. You're not pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. God is working in your life. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit is sanctifying you, is changing you from who you were to what he wants you to be. And as the Holy Spirit works in your life, you are able to do the work God wants you to do. You still have a responsibility to do that work. You don't get to just sit around being passive. False teachers focus on themselves, their visions, their pride. You listen to a, somebody that says they're a Christian believer and they start talking about the visions they've had. Be careful. Be wary. Now, it's not that as pastor, you know, there, there, there's not times that all of us, as we engage in God's work, we don't sometimes say, man, I, I really think God is, is moving me this way, or God's saying do this. Or, but we're saying that in relation to God's word, in relation to how God is speaking to us through his word. Not, yeah, I went to sleep last night and I had this vision, this vision of grandeur, this vision of glory and what God's going to do. Joseph Smith had a vision and now there are thousands and thousands of Mormons who are going to hell because they're listening to a false teaching. Because Joseph Smith had a vision. There's a teacher, the preacher in, at Bethel Church, one of the main things there in Redding, California, they've, they're connected to other places as well. They, they thought they could bring a little girl that had died back to life and they spent time praying over her grave, praying over her body, not releasing her to the authorities. They thought they were going to bring this little girl back to life. Devastated the family because they had this hope, this hope that if they just believed, if I just have enough faith, my little girl will live. No, your little girl lives based on the will of God. 
It's not about how much faith you have. It's about God and what God wants to happen. Your faith sustains you no matter what decision God makes, such that if he heals the little girl, wonderful. If he chooses not to heal the little girl, your faith sustains you because you know that God is the one at work, not you. When you you have a false hope in that, oh, if I just have enough, if I can do this, if I can do that, that's what false teachers give you. It's all about you. If, it, if, if your theology, if your philosophy of living a Christian life makes it all about you, it's time to change your philosophy of a Christian life. It's not all about you, it's all about God. Not only are false teachers themselves dangerous, but their teaching is also dangerous. The current prosperity teachings can trace their roots back to the late 1800s in Eastern mystical philosophy. So it sticks around. That's the problem with false teachers. It's not just that when they go away, their teaching goes away. It, their teaching lasts. Along, it just keeps coming, keeps coming, keeps coming. The, you guys, we read the Nicene Creed from time to time. You know why that Nicene Creed was, was established is because church theologians were getting together to deal with the Arian controversy. The Arians were trying to say that, that, that Jesus wasn't fully God. And so they were dealing with this controversy and they came up with the Nicene Creed. You think that the Arians are gone? No, the Jehovah Witnesses are, are modern day Arians. You see how pervasive false teaching can be. It lasts generations. And that's why we as a church must continue to recognize and preach against false teachers and false teaching. Verse 18 again, let no one disqualify you insisting on ascetic practices and the worship of angels claiming access to visionary realm and inflated without cause by his unspiritual mind. The truth may be hard to spot because of the syncretic practices of false teachers. Syncretism is where they take some truth, some truth of the Bible, mix it with a little bit of culture and a little bit of this other teaching and a little bit of that, and they mix it together to make it what they want it to be. And so it always has a mixture of truth in there. They can, always, they can make things sound really good. Why do these false teachers use the Bible in an attempt to come across as pre- preaching the truth? Even the Quran, you know, even the Quran has passages of from the Bible in the Quran. They acknowledge Abraham. They even acknowledge Jesus Christ. He was just a wonderful prophet. Irenaeus pointed out, pointed this out when he said, Error indeed is never set forth in its naked deformity, lest being thus exposed it should at once be detected but it is craftily decked out in an attractive dress so as by its own outward form to make it appear to the inexperienced, ridiculous as the expression may seem, more true than the truth itself. These false teachers and false teachings are wrapped in truth. They make it look really nice, make it sound really good, so that when some ridiculous statement like, if you think you can, you can, gets presented, you think you can. 
because you're not listening to the whole truth. It's for this reason that Titus 1, 9, that, that Paul writes to Titus in Titus 1, 9, holding to the faithful message as taught so that he will be able both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it is such an important quality not only for an overseer but also for every true believer. Ladies and gentlemen, it is not just your pastor that needs to understand the message of the Bible. It is not just the pastor that needs to hold faithfully to biblical teaching. Each and every one of you needs to do the same. You must read your Bible. You must read books to help you understand the Bible. I'm a big believer in sola scriptura. The Bible is, 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 has all the answers you need to have. But sometimes I like to read commentaries to help me understand better. What, because there's a lot, a lot of people out there that are smarter than me. A lot of people out there smarter than me that have studied this and understand it. Read commentaries with, as you're reading your scriptures. God has blessed some wonderful theologians with the ability to, to present and explain his word in a way that makes it a lot easier to understand. Just make sure you're reading the right commentaries. Okay? Make sure you're reading good, solid Christian commentaries. Revelation 2, 14 through 15 says, But I have a few things against you. This is again Jesus speaking to uh, this, this church. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to place a stumbling block in front of the Israelites, to eat meat, sacrifice to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. In the same way, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now, not a lot is known about the Nicolaitans. However, what is surmised is that they were a sect that had similar teachings as that of Jezebel, who will be mentioned a few verses later in verse 20 of chapter 2. In other words, sexual immorality, eating meat, sacrifice to idols. This church was being permissive when it came to sinful acts, in other words, they were, they were antinomians. They, were, it, 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 they, they had this philosophy that it doesn't matter if I sin, I'm covered by the grace of God. Okay, So, so they, they were permissive when it came to sinful acts, and they were permissive in allowing the culture to impact their beliefs. Does this sound familiar? We have the same problem today in our culture. This is... This, you read all these letters that Paul wrote or John wrote or Jude wrote. The church, the early church has the same problems that our current church has. There are people within the church that are trying to twist scripture, twist what the, the truth of the word of God to make it say something they want it to say so they can feel better about doing the sins that they want to do. False teachings change Jesus and make it all about self rather than all about God. When you listen to some of these theologies that are presented, liberation theologies, feminist theologies, among others, they all change Jesus. 
They change him fundamentally. In other words, Jesus, and I stole this part from a, from a Facebook meme, but, it, but it's, it, it puts the truth in just little bite-sized pieces for you. The cultural Jesus preaches on only on love, whereas the biblical Jesus preaches God's righteousness, preaches repentance from sin. The cultural Jesus gives you health and wealth. The biblical Jesus gives salvation, hope, peace, and joy. The cultural Jesus never says anything negative. The biblical Jesus warns of sin, judgment, and hell. The cultural Jesus loved and accepted, is loved and accepted by the world because, hey, you know, he only preaches on love. He doesn't call you to repentance. The biblical Jesus is hated and despised by the world. Cultural Jesus serves your own will, not God's will. Biblical Jesus exalts the word of God, not feelings and experiences. Cultural Jesus hates to offend you. Biblical Jesus offends with the truth. So true. But how many of our churches buy into cultural Jesus? Last year when we had our conference on, on um, biblical manhood and womanhood, we had a church across the street protesting because their philosophy was Jesus only preaches on love. Come as you are. Jesus accepts you as you are. There's never any call to repentance. There's never a, an acknowledgement that Jesus said, yeah, you come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And when the prostitute was not condemned by the, by the Pharisees, he said, go and sin no more. He didn't just say, well, they didn't condemn you, so go ahead and go do whatever you want to do. He said, go and sin no more. Jesus is love. Jesus does love people. But the cultural view of love is much different than the biblical view of love. How loving is it to send people to hell just so you won't offend them? To me, that's not loving. I, when my kids were little and I had to discipline them, I, I would tell them, I love you too much to allow you to continue in this behavior. I can't allow this behavior to continue because I love you. It wasn't, well, I love you, so I'm not going to spank you. I love you, so I'm not going to tell you you're being bad. No, I love you too much to allow you to continue to be bad. That's biblical love. So if you get disciplined by God, count yourself lucky. He loves you. He's trying to change you. He's trying to mold you into who he wants you to be. And there's a reason, you know, last, last week, I think it was last week, we read the Nicene Creed, we've read the Apostles' Creed, we, we read from the, the Baptist Faith and Message, uh, among other things, you know, as, as some uh, corporate readings. It's a reminder, the reason we do that is a reminder of the historical importance of what's being taught and help, helps us recognize false teachings. Yeah, we read Scripture but we read what some of these others have done as they have battled heresy, as they have contended for the faith, as they have worked through. Yeah, I mean, how many of you know what homoousius is? Probably not very many of you, unless you've taken Greek class. But, these, but, but these, it means that Jesus is the same substance as God. 
These men work through that so that I can preach to you Jesus is the same substance as God. Jesus is fully God and fully man. The Nicene Creed was followed 70 years later by the Chalcedon definition. Basically, some other preachers said, yeah, we we disagree with the Arians, but we still think Jesus is, you know, they still were trying to change who Jesus was. They were trying to to change, again, trying not to say that, that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. And so in 451 AD, another council came together, and that's where when we start teaching that God is that Jesus is fully God and fully man, the 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 the, the, the council that helped put that information in a in a way that we could understand, in a way that we could grasp onto it and teach it to you was this Chalcedon. Uh, conference. And they said, we then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood. Truly God and truly man. Because they were battling heresy, people that were trying to change who Jesus was. People are trying to say, well, Jesus, Jesus's humanity wasn't full humanity. It was this or it was that. No, if Jesus isn't fully God and fully man, then his death on the cross is meaningless for us. If you change who Jesus is, his work on the cross is meaningless. So any theology, any philosophy that changes who Jesus is, is a dangerous philosophy because if Jesus isn't fully God and fully man, his death on the cross is meaningless for us. Why such an emphasis on false teachers and false teaching? Because when beliefs are infected by these falsehood, it leads to false worship. Again, 2.18 Let no one disqualify you, insisting on ascetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to visionary realm and inflated without cause by his unspiritual mind. False worship becomes all about self. For the false teachers of Colossae, they may have been calling on angels as a mean of warding off evil or worshiping the created rather than the creator, all while paying lip service to God. In other words, false, false worship is idolatry because you have made an idol of yourself or an idol of whatever it is you are now worshiping. God says, worship me alone. I alone am worthy of worship. Worship not, no other God but me. Do not worship idols. That's a clear statement from Scripture. False worship is anything that is offered without sincerity, obedience, or that is contrary to the commands of God. And that's what false teachers do. Their, their philosophies is all about you. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Who are you worshiping? You're worshiping yourself. You've elevated yourself into a position that God holds. It is God who can. The only reason you can is because God can and gave you that ability to do. False teachers and false teachings lead to false worship. What form does false worship take today? Well, for the prosperity gospel, it leads you to the worship of materialism. And I want some health and wealth. Who doesn't want health and wealth? 
Okay, I mean, if we're all honest, we, we, you know, if we're all honest, we would all like to be able to comfortably pay our bills and maybe go on a vacation here and there, right? And all of us would love to have perfect health for our whole life, right? Die peacefully in our bed with loved ones all around us one day and without any pain and suffering in our lives. Yes, all of us would like that. But you know what? Not all of us get that. And that's because... One, because of sin in the world, we live in a world that is disintegrating because of sin. Our bodies are deteriorating because of sin. We sin is pervasive in this world, so we probably aren't going to have that, even though we want that. But what we should recognize is that nothing happens outside the will of God. So whether you do have relative good health or you don't have relative good health. It has nothing to do with you and everything to do with God and what God is doing in your life. So the prosperity would teach a worship of materialism. Aseitism or brutalizing your body is trying to earn your salvation, trying to earn the blessings. If I do this, God now must do this for me. Right? As if you can put God into your debt. Okay? As if you can do something that God now, oh, I owe Darren Bradley this because, hey, he preached on Sunday. So now Darren gets this, this, and this. No. We don't do things to put God in, God is never in your debt. Okay, We are consistently in God's debt because it is Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins and paid our debt with his own blood. You will never be able to pay that debt, so you will never be able to put God into your debt. You will always be indebted to God. Always be indebted to God. There is a real danger in falsely worshiping God. Leviticus 10, 1 through 2 says, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, each took his own fire pan, put fire in it, placed incense on it, and presented unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them to do. And then fire came from the Lord and burned them to death before the Lord. False worship isn't something to mess around with. And if you think, well, that's Old Testament, that's different. Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead at the apostles' feet because they they falsely presented, uh, made a false claim and lied to the Holy Spirit. Falsely worshiping in their giving, they lied to the Holy Spirit and fell dead at the apostles' feet. That's after Jesus Christ died for our sins. That's New Testament. False worship is dangerous. False teaching comes from the pulpit in some churches. In other words, pay attention to the songs you sing. Pay attention to what the preacher's preaching. Pay attention. You guys need to know the word so that you can pay attention well enough to know is is what he's saying is right. You guys should be grateful for the work that our worship team does to make sure that the songs that we sing are presenting right theology because don't don't you know you're learning while we're singing? Love lifted me. You're learning about Jesus Christ's love that lifted you up. 
Love lifts you. But did you also notice in that song that it wasn't just, oh, Jesus is loved. You didn't have to do anything. No, in that song, you, the, 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 the person recognizes, I am a sinful person. And it is only God's love that lifted me. He acknowledged his sin. The world doesn't want to acknowledge sin. So this song is teaching us, you want God's love to lift you up, acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge who you are. There are Christian organizations that, so-called Christian organizations that put out music that is not biblically sound doctrine. Be grateful we have a worship team that checks the music before we sing it. Coming to church because it's expected. That's just paying lip service to Jesus Christ. Isaiah 29, 13 and 14 says, The Lord said, Because these people approach me with their mouths to honor me with lip service, yet their hearts are far from me and their worship consists of man-made rules learned by rote. Therefore, I will again confound these people with wonder after wonder, the wisdom of their wise men will vanish and the understanding of the perceptive will be hidden. Ladies and gentlemen, don't come to church on Sundays paying lip service to Jesus Christ. Don't come and worship paying lip service. If you're struggling, just admit that to God. Say, God, I, I, I'm having a hard time today. Don't pay lip service acting as if you, you, as if that's okay. Coming, with, coming to worship without acknowledging, yes, I am here to worship God. I am not here to be entertained. I am not here to, for the, the preacher to give me some little nugget of truth, although we want that. No, you are here to worship God, whether it's through singing, whether it's through listening to the word, whether it's through engaging with other people, giving, however, it is, should all be about God. It should not be about you. If it's about you in any way, then you're falsely worshiping God. You're paying lip service. If you turn it into something that's about you in any way, form, or fashion. True worship is all about God. Here's what David says. Psalm 95, 1 through 3. Come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord. Shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. Let us enter his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout triumphantly to him in song, for the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. Micah puts it this way. What should I bring before the Lord when I come to bow before God on high? Should I come before, this is Micah 6, 6 or 8. Should I come before him with burnt offerings, with year-old calves? Would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with 10,000 streams of oil? Should I give my firstborn for my, my transgression, the child of my body for my own sin? Mankind, he has told you what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you. To act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly before the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, even in the Old Testament, it wasn't about sacrificing it was about honoring God with your worship. It was about walking humbly before the Lord. It was about believing in God. That's what it's about. 
Paul calls us to worship in Romans 12.1, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Don't come to God paying lip service on Sundays. We want you to be here every Sunday. Just acknowledge, God, I struggle sometimes. I have all these things in my mind. Help me to focus on you. Remember, God's the one doing the work in you. As I bring this message to a conclusion, verse 18 may have been kind of the linchpin uh, for this passage, but verse 23 wraps it up in a perfect conclusion. Verse 23 states, although these have a reputation of wisdom, by these being false teachers and false teaching, by promoting ascetic practices, humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. In fact, most of them lead to more self-indulgence. Paul's point is that false teachers have been making far too big of a deal of matters that do not get to the essence of true Christian spirituality, a change of heart and a change of mind that leads to true holiness. If you say you're a Christian but you have not changed, there's a problem. If you say you are a believer but you have not changed, there's an issue. You need to bow before the Lord and say, what's the problem? What do I need to do? Did I not really believe in you? Did I not really confess you as Lord of my life? Help me. Help me do that. False teaching and false teachers are all about earthly wisdom. And here's what Solomon says about earthly wisdom in Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 2. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility. Everything is futile. If it is under the sun, if it is earthly, it is absolutely futile. False teachers, false teaching, and false worship all use earthly or cultural wisdom to make their claims, and they are futile. However, the wise man uses the teachings of Solomon to instruct his son, but focuses on God and his wisdom, which allows him to state at the end of Ecclesiastes, when all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is, fear God and keep his commands, because this is for all humanity. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. None of you are tricking God. None of you are hiding anything from God. You're, God knows if you're paying lip service. God knows if you're following false teaching. God knows everything. Everything will be brought to judgment by God. So here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commands. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that your word is truth. Lord, that we can trust your word. It doesn't change. Your word never changes. Thank you, Jesus, that you never change. Lord, that, that you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And because you do not change, because, Jesus, you are fully God and fully man, you were able to die on the cross for my sins. Thank you for paying my debt. I could never pay that debt. Thank you for that.
And Lord God, I, I just I, I pray that each and every one here would be able to truly say thank you for paying my debt and acknowledge that you are Lord and Savior of their life. Praise your holy name, Lord God, in Jesus' name, amen.